Well, happy Easter. Just as uh, we're arriving this morning, we're going to uh, sing a couple of songs to you uh, to celebrate Easter. So a warm welcome. This is our Oak Hall Caterham Mass Choir.
forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amen? This is our king that we have come to worship this morning. The one who was dead, the one three days ago we remembered was crucified. But now look, now look, he says, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And you know, we're going to sing a song to start our service together, which is a classic hymn that gives all the glory to this King Jesus. It says, let the church with gladness, hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord now liveth, death has lost its sting. What great news we have to celebrate this Easter Sunday morning. So let's give praise together and worship. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. Let's stand and let's praise our King together.
Our Lord Jesus, thine be the glory, risen conquering son, endless is your victory. Thou, O death, has won. Thank you, Jesus, that this morning we can celebrate you risen from death. Thank you this morning, Jesus, that we can celebrate because you have left the grave behind you. One day, so will we. Lord Jesus, we give you the glory. We give you the praise this morning. Amen. Oh, please do take a seat. Now, this morning we have... Even more reasons uh, to celebrate uh, because Hannah and Lima uh, are going to be baptized this morning. And you know, if you're not too sure why uh, Hannah and Lima are going to be baptized, why there is a, uh, a pool full of water in the church here this morning, well, know that there is nothing special about the water in the pool. Hannah and Lima will still be the same Hannah and Lima that you knew when they uh, come back out of the water from being baptised. But you know, this is simply a sign, a sign of Hannah and Lima's faith in the Lord Jesus. You could say it's an outward sign of inward faith. You see, baptism, it's it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. It's a picture of washing that Jesus has washed all of our wrong, all of our sin, our, our rebellion against God. Washed it all away. Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection three days later, has made it possible for us to be completely clean and spotless before God. But it's also a picture of new life. As Jesus died, this morning we celebrate that he rose again. And Jesus offers everyone. Everyone that believes and trusts in him this gift of eternal life. And baptism is a picture of that new life that Jesus offers to all who trust in him. And do you know this morning, uh, we're going to hear from Hannah and Lima now uh, about their stories of how they have come to trust and follow this Jesus. So I'm going to invite firstly Lima to come and share her story with us. Thank you, Lima. Okay, firstly, I'd like to apologise for my voice. I've been fighting a chest infection this week, so I'm a little bit croaky, but I'll battle on through. Um, Now, as a trainee uh, primary school teacher, I can safely say that standing in front of a room full of attentive adults is far more nerve-wracking than standing in front of a classroom of disobedient children. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Lima, um, and my parents, who are David and Valda Bryden, many of you will know well. Um, by way of background, I was born and raised here in Catrim in a loving Christian home, and Oak Hall was a big part of my life growing up. My early journey as a Christian was very normal, attending Sunday school, adventurers, crusaders, and youth group over the years. After leaving school, I went off to university in Nottingham, where I began to distance myself from God. I no longer had a lift to church every Sunday, and the Oaks was no longer a short walk up the road. For the first time, I realised that the onus was on me to find a suitable church and a strong Christian fellowship. Sadly, I never took that step, and a few years later, I found myself rejecting God and his existence completely. Thankfully, not long after this, I decided to explore what it means to be a Christian again, and in an attempt to try and understand things from a different angle, I attended confirmation classes through the Latvian Lutheran Church and got confirmed in 2014. 
Just by way of explanation, I am half Latvian and can speak it fluently, otherwise that would be a challenge too far. Um, even though on that day I consciously took that step and accepted Jesus into my life, looking back, I'm not convinced I fully understood what this truly meant, and as a result, my lifestyle didn't change for the better. I realize now that I was doing God my way, with me in control of my life and only acknowledging him when I thought it was convenient. It also meant I still assumed that I was a good person, as I was still occasionally going to church, but ultimately I had no personal relationship with God. Essentially, I was telling myself that I'm going to do life my own way, but I still expect God to like me, thinking I had the best of both worlds and that this was okay. This sinful attitude I carried with me for most of my 20s, my conscience not realising that one day I would have to stand before God and explain my sinful attitude towards him. Looking back, I liked the idea of Jesus as saviour, but I wasn't ready to accept Jesus as Lord. Later, I found myself working in a high-pressure job up in the city, with life seemingly too busy for God, and Sundays being used for a lion instead of going to church. I went to the odd service at St. Helen's Bishopsgate on a Tuesday lunchtime, with some gentle persuasion from Dad, but I never made it a regular event, always using work, being too busy, as an excuse. Ultimately, I accepted God was there, but he was on a shelf for when I needed him, and otherwise he was forgotten about. I was happy to believe the lie I was living, as it suited me, and so my attitude towards God didn't change. Thankfully, it did begin to change in 2017 on an Oakwood ski trip to Schladming, when I met my lovely town assistant, Andrew, and I guess more importantly, my husband-to-be. Looking back, I now realise that this was God starting his work in me to draw me closer to him. Andrew's strong faith made me realise the extent of the lie I was living and how far I was in my own walk with God. That Christmas, my parents gave me a framed photo of a sunrise I had taken on my walk, on my, on my morning commute looking over Tower Bridge. On the back were a few verses that had helped them in their early lives as Christians. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It was from this point I realised that I could no longer be in control of my life and I had to put my trust in him. This was at a time when I was wanting a career change and debating whether to pursue a career in teaching. Ultimately, I knew the job I had wasn't the one that God had planned for me and he showed me the direction I should go in. Since then, those verses have cropped up several times just at the right time as a reminder to me to trust in him. This was a turning point in my relationship with God as my attitude towards him completely changed. I knew I needed to repent and ask for God's forgiveness of my selfish attitude. Repentance, I have since come to understand, is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. I now know that I need to submit to God, as he is the one who rules my life, and I will obey him and listen to him. By accepting Jesus as Lord, I died to myself being Lord of my life, and in being baptised, I fully acknowledge this. I also thank God for the people he has used to share the gospel with me and to pray for me over the years. For that, I am very grateful and would appreciate your continuing prayers and support. To finish, Paul sums this all up perfectly in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you so much. There we go. (laughs) 
Well, I'm like with everyone being baptized, we'd like to, to present you with a book. And this is by Jen Wilkin, In His Image. Uh, ten ways God calls us to reflect his character. Uh, and the verse that we've chosen uh, for your baptism is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, which says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So that's for you. And, uh, and let me pray as you, uh, if you shared that with us. Our Father in heaven, uh, we give you great thanks for Lima and the way that you have worked in her life. And we pray now as Lima takes uh, this step of baptism that you would bless her, you would keep her as she continues to follow you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you, Lima. Well, I'm going to invite Hannah now, who's going to come and share her story with us. Thank you, Hannah. Hello, uh, my name is Hannah, and today I'm going to tell you and declare that I'm a Christian, and that without Christ in my life, I'd be a very different person. There wasn't a specific date as such when I began believing. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be brought up in a Christian home, but from a strict background. And I've had a fair few encounters with God and his miraculous ways. But it wasn't until recently that I felt God calling me to take the next step in my faith. I first came to Oak Hall Church for their Good Friday service two years ago and have since overcome many battles, both personally and with my faith. If anyone had asked me three years ago what anxiety was, I'd probably have given a general description, but in my head I probably would have really thought that it was just an over-exaggerated word for worrying. Now my thoughts are very different. Two years ago, I went through various personal battles, which eventually resulted in a mental breakdown uh, on the 20th of November 2017. By that point, my anxiety had heightened to a point where I was unhappy at work and pretty much avoided all members of staff. Um, I'd be anxious at walking into church, sitting down, speaking to anyone. It was for a number of months that I'd be the first to slip out the back of De Stafford School Hall because I just felt as though I couldn't face anyone. However, it was also during those months that a few members of the congregation here worked wonders for me without them even realising. They didn't seem to mind me sitting close or with them. They made sure I was okay every Sunday morning. They asked me about work. But the most important thing was that they didn't pry. They just supported me and prayed for me, which was exactly what I needed. During both December 2017 and January 2018, I tried attending both Oak Hall and another church, Rygate Baptist, where my sister and brother-in-law attended, but eventually decided that I hadn't really felt settled in either place and began to consider leaving the Christian faith altogether. Around the same time, I was quite unhappy in my job and began to look elsewhere. A few years ago, I dreamt of completing my newly qualified teacher year in the UK and then moving to Dubai and working in an international school. With this in mind, I turned to international job adverts and found an intriguing place in Russia which had numerous vacancies, although I don't think anyone took me seriously when I mentioned applying for it. On the morning of what I thought would be my last time at Oak Hall, before getting out of the car, I prayed that it was the right decision, uh, that if it was not the right decision, then God would somehow let me know. I got out of the car and began to walk across the snowy car park. Phil was outside clearing the pathways and we had a quick catch-up. At the end of the conversation, he told me he had a question that he'd been meaning to ask me for a while. Would I become an Oak Hall partner? 
I could almost hear bells dinging in my head. I think he was a little taken aback when I agreed pretty much straight away. As Andy said when he preached at the end of December, we ask God for things in prayer, and often he blesses us, but not always in the ways which we sometimes think. Since becoming a partner, the anxiety hasn't vanished. Until recently, I still struggled to even hold conversations at the end of the service. But thanks to a few members of the church, life is very different now. I became involved with the worship team almost a year ago after attending a wedding with a former work colleague and being introduced and encouraged by many people to join. In the weeks after that, I remember a lot of people coming up to me, introducing themselves and letting me know that I wouldn't be on my own if I came to one of the rehearsals. The first and last verse of In Christ Alone sum up my faith better than I can put it myself, which I'm going to read to you now. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Occasionally the anxiety heightens again, as it did so at the beginning of the year. Whereas before, with an anxiety attack, it affected me for days, weeks, even months at a time. This time I opened my Bible app, looking for God's guidance, and the verse of the day was John 16, verse 22. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Words cannot describe how much I needed to read that verse at that moment. To be reminded that although sometimes I can feel entirely alone, Jesus has already overcome the trouble I faced, and he died on the cross to save me. A few weeks ago, when singing He Will Hold Me Fast with the worship team, I felt really encouraged and supported, and so I decided that it was time to obey God's calling and take the next step in baptism. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for sharing your story with us. And like with Lima, we've, we've given you a book, and it's again by Jen Wilkin. Uh, None like him, uh, ten ways uh, God is different from us, and why that's a good thing. And the verse uh, for your baptism that we've chosen is from Zephaniah, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, which says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So there we go. That's for you. And um, let's pray as you share that story with us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Hannah and the story that she's shared of how you have worked in her life. We thank you that you have led her to know and trust you. And Father, we pray that as Hannah goes on from this day, that you will continue to encourage and strengthen her as she continues to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Hannah. Well, we're going to sing a song uh, that Hannah has chosen. 
uh, before they get baptized. And it's a song uh, that speaks about in all the seasons of life, there is one thing that we can depend on. And that is the everlasting arms of God. This next song, it calls us to depend, to lean on these everlasting arms. These arms that will care for us and carry us and strengthen us through all of life's seasons. During this song, the offering will be taken for those who regularly partner with us. But let's stand and declare this song, Lean on the Everlasting Arms, together. Let's stand and sing. As our burdens grow greater, He sends us more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, He offers more mercy. To multiply trials, He multiplies grace. Exhausted our store of endurance When our strength has failed And the day is half done When we've reached the end Of our earthly resources Our Father's forgiven Is only begun Our Father's forgiven Is only begun So lean hard Lean hard
Lean hard, lean hard, lean on the everlasting arms. Lean on the everlasting arms. Lean on the everlasting arms. Your mercy flows like a river. Your mercy flows like a river. Your mercy flows like a river on us. Your mercy. Well, please do take a seat and Lima, if you want to head down into the pool. Uh, boys and girls, if you wanted to come down to the front, not too close that you fall in, but if you want to come down to the front to get a better view, it's on the screen um, if you want to stay in your seats. But if you want to come down to the front to get a better view, you can. But I'm going to hand over to Josh and Dave who will lead us in our baptism. Well, Lima, it's a real privilege and a joy to be able to baptise you today. Thank you for sharing your story so honestly and it's very moving. And we give thanks for God's work in your life. I'm going to ask you three questions and let you give a chance to answer those and then on those on your profession of faith will then baptise you in this water. So the first question is, Lima, have you trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to take away your sin and give you a good relationship with God? I have. Lima, are you trusting daily in Jesus and seeking to follow him as Lord and Saviour? I am. And finally, Lima, do you put your hope in him for eternal life, that one day when you will see him face to face and rejoice in him in eternity? I do. Well then, Lima, on the public profession of your faith, we baptise you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Hannah, would you like to come and join us as well? Well, Hannah, thank you as well for sharing your story, and we give thanks to God for his work in your life. It's a real privilege now to be able to baptise you as well. So same things, I'll ask you three questions, then on your profession of faith we'll baptise you. So Hannah, have you trusted in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to take away your sin and give you a good relationship with God? I have. Great. Hannah, are you trusting daily in Jesus and seeking to follow him as your Lord and Saviour? I am. And Hannah... Do you put your hope in him for eternal life, that one day you will see him face to face and rejoice in an eternity with him? I do. 
Well then, Hannah, on the public profession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Well, isn't it the most wonderful thing to have two baptisms on Easter Sunday? It's a real reason to rejoice together. And we're going to do just that. We're going to stand and sing two songs now. The first one is our Easter anthem that we've been learning over these a couple of weeks leading up to Easter. And the verse, you know, that we can declare this morning says, Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Those are the amazing news that we can declare now together, that we can praise Jesus for. So let's stand and sing these next two songs together. Let's stand and sing. Set me free. 
of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth this Jesus, we praise you that we can celebrate your victory over the grave this morning. You stand in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip. You are ours, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Oh Lord Jesus, we praise you. And we pray as Phil opens up your word that we would be blessed and see how just incredible this news is for us this morning. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. I'm going to invite Liz to come and read from John chapter 11 before Phil speaks to us. Thank you, Liz. Reading this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 11. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1077. We're reading John 11. We'll read verses 1 to 3, and then go over to 17 through to 44. I'm not sure of the instructions. I think some of the children are going to transition to different classes. Some are staying. Youth are definitely staying. So hopefully you know what you're doing. (coughs) If you're visiting this morning, you've got children with you, then do feel free to keep them in, take them out, whatever suits you best. John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Over to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thanks so much for that reading, Liz. Can I just say a a happy Easter to everyone? It's a joyful day, isn't it? It's been wonderful to hear the testimony of Hannah and and Lima. What we we do in this church is uh, we open uh, the Bible, uh, which are historical scriptures, scriptures that have been uh, read by Christians for the last 2,000 years. The the passage we're reading this morning comes from the book of John, John lived to around 90 AD, so his book was circulating among the Christian church in those very early years. Uh, so this is, this is a historical eyewitness account of what Jesus did. Interestingly, all we have of Jesus' biographies are the last three years of his life. It's not like a David Beckham biography where it's all about how he became a great footballer. Actually, Jesus' biography is a, a third of it is all about how he died. Uh, that's, that's the biography we're opening up this morning. And yet, compared to David Beckham as well, uh, isn't it interesting how a Jewish peasant who died 2,000 years ago of the record of his life we only had the last three years, that record has changed billions of lives over the last 2,000 years. Isn't that a miracle? Well, we're going to be looking at the miracle of this account now. When you look at recent news stories, there are many stories of people coming back to life after being pronounced dead. 
they're not all that rare. So four months ago, a man called Gonzalo Montoya Jimenez, a 29-year-old Spanish guy, no, no wonder there, um, he, was, uh, he was a prisoner in a Spanish jail, and he was found unconscious in his cell. He was declared dead by three doctors, and four hours later, he was laid um, on, on an autopsy table. A few minutes after that, one of the morticians began, uh, heard him begin to snore gently. He'd actually been asleep for the last four hours. His mum said that the discovery had come just in time because Gonzalo's body had even had the marks painted on it to guide the autopsy. Rarer still are people who are alive but still turn out to be dead. That's what happened to a 63-year-old Romanian man called Constantin Reliu. He moved to Turkey in 1992 for work, lost contact with his wife and family. 25 years later, his wife registered him as dead. He, meanwhile, was alive and well in Turkey and had no idea that this had happened. So it was only when the Turkish authorities discovered his documents had expired and deported him back to Romania that he realized and discovered that he'd been registered as dead in his homeland. He immediately appealed the ruling, even appearing in court, providing the court with conclusive evidence that he was, in fact, very much alive. Incredibly, though, he lost the case. (laughs) Because, technically, his appeal had come too late. So, dead people can come back to life if they're not really dead. And living people can be registered as dead, even though they're living. But the story we've read this morning is one that has no bizarre medical or legal explanation to help us get our minds around it. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And the record says his body stank. And then Jesus raised him from the dead. But more than the miracle is what the miracle means. You see, this account is not just a story that shows Jesus' extraordinary power. It's a story that teaches us this morning that living people like you and I can have life. Not just life now, but life in eternity. So let's look at this passage together. And the first thing I want to say is Jesus makes a huge claim, a big claim. And that's our first point this morning. I am the resurrection. It's a big claim. The background is that Lazarus had fallen ill and had died. He'd been dead for four days, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, called for Jesus, whom they thought could heal him from his sickness. And in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. There are those small eyewitness details which help us understand this is not mythical. You wouldn't find uh, um, a, 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 a fairy tale saying, oh, and Little Red Riding Hood's house, R- Little Red Riding Hood's mum stayed in the house to cook some bread. They're not details you find in myths. These are historical details. So Mary remained in the, in the house. Martha said to Jesus, though, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Many of us resonate with that emotion, don't we? It's the shock that hits when a loved one dies. No one prepares us for it. It's a hammer blow. And people gather around, friends and relatives, they come to grieve, and in the story, Martha turns to Jesus, the person who she thought would be able to heal Lazarus, and in her grief, she cries out to him. 
If he'd been there, he could have healed Lazarus. He could have stopped death from overtaking him. But look at what Jesus says. Well, in verse 23, your brother will rise again. On the face of it, it sounds like Jesus is saying something comforting. Jesus seems to be telling Martha that she can be comforted by the hope that one day her brother will rise again at the last resurrection when we all stand before God. And that's how Martha takes it. This is how she replies to Jesus. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She takes comfort. She believes that her brother, who was a man of God, would be raised when God comes to the earth. She believed that one day her brother would be raised back to life when the Messiah came. That was her Jewish faith. But that's not all that Jesus meant. Yes, that's going to happen, but he raises the stakes again. He makes a huge claim about himself and about the future hope of the resurrection. Look at verse 25. It's one of the most incredible statements in the Bible. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he's not just saying that he's going to be at the resurrection like a helpless bystander or or an auditor. Nor is he claiming to be with the resurrected like Lazarus would be. His claim here is that he is going to be the resurrection when it happens. In other words, on that day, he will be the whole purpose and reason and power and glory that makes the resurrection happen. He was telling Martha that he was that power, is that power by which Lazarus would one day be given a new body. That would at Jesus' command be given life and breath and become conscious and be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and stand before God with the resurrected. The source of that power, of that historical event in the future, will be Jesus. God the Son. And the question that has resounded through generations is what Jesus asks here, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And listen to how Martha responds. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha looked at the person of Jesus and concluded that the only person, the only hope we have in life and death is if we trust that Jesus is God come into the world. And at the time when she said this, she had no idea of how Jesus would make this happen. But she'd looked at the evidence. She'd looked at the person of Jesus the previous three years and she'd weighed up what she had seen. His power, his humility, his majesty, his might, his time that he gives to little people like children and the dismissal of arrogant people like the Pharisees who opposed him. She looked at all the evidence and she weighed it up by her absolute logic. This man cannot be a normal, ordinary man. He must be the Messiah from God. That is her conclusion. And it's a declaration of faith shared today by Lima and Hannah. 
Their baptism today is a testimony to their conviction that Jesus' power changes our lives today and will powerfully change our lives when we finally die. And it's a faith that has a simple implication. An implication that is pictured by baptism that we've witnessed today. I don't know whether you've ever been to a, to a baptism like this before, perhaps not. Maybe you've just seen children and infants being baptized, but it's all symbolic. Because Hannah and Lima have believed in Jesus. They've rejected their old way of life where they treated God badly. And they've come alive to a new life where Jesus is their Lord and God. That's the symbolism of baptism. That's the symbolism of being lowered into the water. And you notice Josh held them there for a little second, enough to get us a little bit worried, and brought them up. That is that picture of dying to my old way of life and rising to a new resurrected hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be sitting here impressed by that story, impressed by Jesus' claim and challenged by the explanation, but how do we know it's true? How do we know that? As Jesus says, the one who believes in Jesus will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. How do we know that claim is true? The answer is in what Jesus does next. Let me read out to you what happens, and it leads to our second point. It's a, the second point is a big proof. A big proof. Look at me at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus tells them to open the tomb. We have to remember that this is right in the middle of the aftermath of loss and grief. So it's a request that shows either staggering certainty of his power or crass insensitivity to those mourners. Jesus asks them to open the tomb. Where, where do you go with that? It's a shocking request. To put it into context, how would you feel if I started digging up the remains of a relative who had died four days ago so I could have a chat with them? Jesus asked them to open the tomb. Now, if Jesus had no power and no comprehension of his godness, then this act is embarrassingly cruel for the onlookers and a total and utter victory for the enemies of Jesus. The young man is dead. Dead people can't come back to life. Jesus had gone too far. They were hoping that he would say something dramatic like, Lazarus, come forth, and nothing would happen. Where do you go with that? Total, total discreditation of all that Jesus is and claims to be. So they do what he says, and then this happens. They took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come out. And just as the living obeyed Jesus by moving the stone, the dead obeyed Jesus by coming back to life. That is his authority. Let me read from verse 44. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grey clothes and let him go. What does it mean? Well, it means that Jesus has the power and authority that he claims to have. He's not deluded. He made a claim and his actions prove that claim to be true and powerful and authentic. And it means that Lima and Hannah and Christians throughout the millennia are not deluded either for trusting in the historical Jesus. Lima and Hannah believe the power of Jesus not only to raise Lazarus and to raise all people on the last day to judgment and salvation, but also in the ultimate proof of Jesus' power to do all this, which is the historical event of his own resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't just claim to be the resurrection of Lazarus or the Lord of the resurrection on the last day. He also claimed that he himself would be killed and would rise again after three days. Mark's account, another biography of Jesus, records it in chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said, he then began, oh sorry, Mark records, he then began to teach them that he, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by rulers and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus knew that he would be killed And he knew that he would rise again. And not only did he claim that, he also carried it out. It's exactly what happened. It's what we celebrate this Easter. You see, Jesus' resurrection on that first Easter morning means that all who believe in him will have his confidence that death is not the end. We have his hope. And Christian hope is absolute certainty that when we die, we be with Jesus and we wait till he returns to this world on the last day. And then we will be resurrected. That is Christian certainty. So death is not the end. It's only the end of the beginning. When Christians die, we know for certain we see Jesus. So this morning, Jesus' question is still relevant. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life? You know, broadly speaking, there are four kinds of people in this room. There's the atheist who says there is no God. When we die... We are merely worm fodder. That is the end of our lives. There is no hope. There's the agnostic who says, well, there is a God, but I'm going to just take my chances and hope he likes me. There's the religious person who says, there is a God. I'm going to control him and try and please him by being good so that when I meet him, I hope I've done enough. There's the Christian who says, my only hope is the person of Jesus Christ. I cannot do enough. I know that he stands there at the resurrection and he will hold me to account. And all I can say is, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, I have trusted you to deal with my attitude towards God. And because of that, you are my only hope. 
my only certainty, my only future, my only power, my only resurrection. I only stand here before you trusting in your work, trusting in your death, trusting in your resurrection. That is the Christian future and hope. And perhaps you today you've realized Jesus is more real than you've thought. Perhaps today you've not really given Jesus any thought. Well, can I encourage you to find out, to ask questions of Jesus? Don't, don't leave him on the shelf. Don't deny him. Don't try to control him. Examine him. Look at him. Carefully, carefully read through uh, one of his biographies if you can and, and, and weigh up for yourself. Is this Jesus person the person in whom I can trust and have my hope? Well, on your chair are two things. One is is a booklet called The Real Easter. It it simply explains more fully about what has happened on that first Easter morning. It's our gift to you. Please do take it home and read it through. The second is on your chair. uh, The second thing on your chair is a flyer for our Christianity Explored course that starts in June. It's a really, really good opportunity Uh, for six consecutive Monday nights of cookies and chats and discussion. You won't be asked to do anything out of your comfort zone. We simply look at the person of Jesus and we read through Mark's account of his life together and we ask questions and we debate and we share our opinions and we work out who this Jesus person is. And you'd be most welcome to come along to that if you'd like. If you're a Christian and have questions, come along. If you're not a Christian, and have questions, come along. And and just all you have to do is talk to myself or anyone of the welcome team. Just say, look, here are my details. I'd like to come along. I like uh, chocolate brownies. Please make sure they're there on the third evening. Perhaps this morning, though, you've realized that your life, like Lima and Hannah's, once were. Today you live your life your own way. You treat your God your own way. Ignoring him, using him when it's convenient. Well, can I encourage you to look at this statement? I am the resurrection and the life. And it might be that this morning as we've looked at this statement from Jesus, that we've realized we need to ask him to be Lord. If you'd like to do that this, uh, today, then don't leave it for another time. Talk to me after the service or, or, or Dan or, or anyone in the welcome team and ask them to help you pray, help you to talk to, to Jesus. Uh, this is the phenomenal thing because Jesus is alive today. We have absolute certain access to his presence, to his listening ear by talking to him. And if you want to do that this morning, simply start talking to him by saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I know you're listening to this because I'm speaking to you now. You have claimed to be a saviour. You've claimed to be Lord. You've claimed to be the resurrection and the life. Will you make that claim clear to me today? Amen. That is simply all you need to talk to Jesus about. And if you want to do that this morning with someone, do so. Or in the quietness of your own mind, do so. 
But what we celebrate this Easter is the joyful, joyful claim that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the joyful action that Jesus has been resurrected and will be the power of the resurrection and the life on the last day. Christians today, rejoice in your hope. Rejoice in your future certainty. Praise God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole voice because 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped out of an empty tomb and declared to all the world, he is God the Son, the one who has the power and authority to raise the dead. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you and praise you this morning for your power and and your authority, even over death. That what we consider to be the great unknown, you consider to be the great servant of God. That death has no victory, death has no power of God, because you are the ultimate power. You are the ultimate authority, so that on the day of resurrection, you will be the power and authority through whom that happens. Oh, Father God, we thank you that Jesus came to this earth. Jesus lived on this earth. Jesus died on this earth. Jesus was resurrected on this earth, in history, in time, in place. And he commands our lordship. Father God, for those of us who love you, we we declare you our Lord once more this morning because of Jesus. And we pray that all men and women, boys and girls, would know the power of Christ in them. That from life's first cry to the final breath, Jesus. That till he returns or calls us home, we stand in Jesus. Lord God, may we rejoice more this morning. May we rejoice in the hope that Jesus has brought us. And we praise you for the wonderful testimonies that we've heard today of two young ladies who have trusted their whole life now and whole future eternity into his hands. We praise you and worship you this morning. Fill us with joy, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and sing one last song, which is um, a great, great hymn of praise. Um, which, uh, which is before the throne of God above. Oh no, it's not. Don't listen to me. It's, it's, it's a, a song of praise about um, the, the power and sovereignty of our God. He's holding the oceans in his hands. He's numbered every grain of sand. Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. It's a song about his sovereignty his lordship over our lives. So let's stand and sing, Behold our God seated on his throne.
his hands Who has numbered every grain of sand Kings and nations tremble at his voice All creation rises to to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and now and 
evermore. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of Easter. It's a joyous day, isn't it? Um, And do feel free after the service to um, grab a tea and coffee in the foyer afterwards. We'd love to get to know you better, particularly if you're visiting, uh, and have a chat. Um, do, uh, Do make your way for refreshments now. Thank you.